As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he said his cutting-edge treatments could cure cancer and HIV. But it was all an illusion, one that may have ended in murder. We'll discuss season four of Dr. Death, Bad Magic. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Pick a card, Rebecca, any card. <laughs> no. Is this your card? Are you, gonna, are you doing a force? Isn't that called a force? I, I don't know. Is that what it's called? I think it is. I will never force my wife... You to pick a card? card. Pick a card. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. Yeah, the AI horoscope I read every morning, they do your daily tarot card picking. Oh, that's very exciting. A computer Mm -hmm. does that. Yeah. An artificial intelligence computer. They claim it's an actual person, but I think it's AI. It doesn't matter if it's an actual person. I don't. I'm, I'm not, I don't believe it either way. But you read it. <laughs> I read it every day. That's how I feel about some advice columnists. I've been reading so many of them for the OPP podcast. I feel like, dear Amy, that might be an AI person, Amy Dickinson, whatever her mm-hmm. name is. Her advice mm-hmm. is so rote and not fun and short. I think it's AI. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. How's your hoodie going today, Toby? My hoodie is going just fine, thank you. It's cold. It's real cold. You know, I went for a brisk walk, which I don't always do, and mm-hmm. then I came back, and it was a little hot in here, and I got a little, uh, little hot, and then I got freezing. Yes. Is your thyroid okay? That's how one gets pneumonia. Yeah, no, I think it was just, I was, it's not really all that warm in here, but I was hot. This is, I'm sure people out there in podcast land are loving this little peek into my <laughs> body temperature. <laughs> I, th- I think it's possible, Toby, you're going through menopause. Manopause. Manopause. Yes, it, is that, yeah. it is that time of my life cycle. Yes. yes. It yeah. kind of could be. I'm 100% going through menopause. You know how I know that, Kevin? How do you know that? Well, I'm guessing I have no immune system anymore. <laughs> like none. I'm getting sick all the I have COVID now. It's ridiculous. You just had COVID, I feel like. No, I had COVID in the summer and then yeah, I had the flu okay. three weeks ago. And like two days ago, I was like, I am super tired. I'm just as tired as I was when I had the flu when I had COVID. And I said to Kevin, who's in the other room, I was like, I'm going to take a COVID test. He's like, why are you taking a COVID test? And I was like, because I feel like I have COVID. And I took the COVID test and I have COVID. It's wild. What the hell? But it's a very mild case, I think, this time. I feel feel okay. Just tired. It's fine. All right. That's good. The line on the indicator today was like almost not. Yeah. So I think I caught it near the end. Yeah. It was pretty. Yeah. It was a good one. A better one. Does the boldness of the line have any kind of, I mean, is that indicating how yes. sick you are? Yes. Well, it I, is? 
No, I think it just tells it says like you're on the tail end. Like or if you beginning. had taken that test like 12 hours later, it would be like no line. Right. It, it's it's no it's faint detectable. at the beginning and faint at the end. And I the first time I took it, it was strong. And then two days hmm. later, it's now faded considerably. So, so I think it does talk about the intensity of what you have. It's just about like how contagious or how far along in yes. the process you are. But right? as as I've learned, and as I will tell people out there who might have had COVID. Where you are in the virus does not necessarily dictate how sick you feel because yeah. I was sick for three weeks after I had it last time. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to happen that. this time. Yeah, it was real bad. It was really bad. This is very exciting content. Medical, uh, medical. It's actually appropriate. Why? Because like Joe Rogan made a billion dollars or something, and you feel oh, like we should talk about that in the after show. Can okay, we? sure. All right. I'm writing, writing, writing this down. Okay. So, so, Kevin, what is coming up on Thursday's show? This is obviously Monday's podcast. On Thursday, we're going to be talking about a podcast from KQED. That's the public radio station in San Francisco, and it's season two of their series on our watch, hmm. New Folsom. All right. I'm really looking forward to talking about that one personally. KQED is a great station, and uh, they're doing some very, very good work there. All right, so Kevin, we're a few minutes into the program. Do you think we should talk about what we're going to talk about? I think that's why people come. <laughs> you do? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. to hear about Toby's rangy body temperature? Well, they, they they enjoy that. That's like the bonus, you know. But they're really yeah. here. To be fair, it is really cold in New Hampshire today. Was it seventeen degrees? But we're all inside. What? It's like forty-two here. Oh, oh. lucky you. So privileged with the right, temperature. I'm, I'm going straight to the app. All right. What is it here right now? 40 degrees. All right. It was 17 this morning. Low of 16. Yeah. Can't deny it. But that's 40 degrees. Yeah. But the last time I was outside, it was 17. So. Well, by the time we're done recording, it's going to be uh, 12 again. <laughs> okay. The sun's going to go down. I'll get on with it. I get the hint. I get the hint. Kevin. I don't think you do. I do. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip, Kevin. All right. All right. Leading off. His colleagues compared him to Leonardo da Vinci, Nikola Tesla, and Einstein in one and the same person. But in a few years, he wouldn't be known for world-changing treatments. He would be known as a fraud and a key suspect in a grisly murder. Dr. Sirhat Gamruku had been hailed as a genius whose experimental treatments for cancer and AIDS made a half billion dollars for Enochian biosciences. But the researchers seemed to have two obsessions. One was performing magic tricks, and the other was a penchant for secrecy. Sirhat didn't have any other feedback. He didn't seem concerned that he was passing up the chance to be seen as a hero in this life-saving discovery. His only concern was keeping his address out of it. Financial investors turned up troubling information on Sir Hat. His diplomas and other credentials were phony, and he'd left a trail of white-collar crimes. They'd soon learn, on the other side of the country, a man in a business dispute with Sir Hat was lured from his home, murdered execution-style, and left in a snowbank. Banks pulled a ski mask with a U.S. Marshal's insignia on it down over his face, then turned on police lights on the dashboard of his white Ford Explorer and drove a short distance down the road to the house of Greg Davis. Dr. Death, Bad Magic is season four of Wondery's hit podcast series. Host Laura Beale tells the tale of the amateur magician and professional con artist who fooled financiers, scientists, and patients, and now faces murder for hire charges. Was Sir Hot the medical pioneer he claimed to be, or was it all an illusion? Kevin, is this your card? Do the magic thing. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points. 
<laughs> the audience can't hear that, Kevin. I can add it in post, though. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from season four of Dr. Death. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, what did you think about the opening scene of this podcast? Because it happened in your neck of the woods, the very, very cold Vermont. Yeah, the, my home state of Vermont. So, you know, anytime there's something like this that happens in Vermont, I'm always like, ooh, because it's changed so much since when I grew up there. But, you know, we have the opening scene with this guy, Greg Davis. Somebody knocks on his door that is like purporting to be the police or like the marshals or whatever. And he leaves with them. And, you know, this is not good. And then they find his body a few days later, like in the snow. It was a shape jutting out of the snowbank. There on the ground, partially covered by snow, was a man's body. His wrists were shackled, 22 caliber bullet wounds in his head and torso with bullet casings speckling the snowbank. With that coming right in at the beginning, I'm like, okay, this is definitely not just a season of Dr. Death where we're having somebody botching surgeries or doing experimental procedures or, you know, doing bad medicine. This is a season of Dr. Death that is taking it to a different level. Having grown up in that area in Vermont and, you know, thinking about these like very dark rural Vermont roads in the winter, that's like the setting out of a horror movie. Yeah. So, Kevin, Laura Beale. Yeah. A great host. She's obviously hosted the previous seasons of Dr. Death. What do you think of her hosting this season? Because I, I, I made an observation about it and it looks like you've noticed the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I still feel that Laura Beale is a great host. She does a good read. He was impressive. He did well at school, especially in science. Every Wednesday afternoon, Serhat would go over to the town's post office to look up scientific research at the only computer that had access to the Internet. But I wonder whether her fingerprints are actually on the news gathering here, because when she reads the credits, she's not listed in the credits as someone having a role in the news gathering. She seems just to be narrating perhaps someone else's story. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does feel like the best things that she's done were things of her own creation and stuff that she efforted to get and, and uh, put down on tape herself. Hmm. So, Toby... Does listening to Dr. Death ever make you wonder if the diploma on your doctor's office wall is real? <laughs> <laughs> and is it during an exam? Uh, not yet, but apparently, <laughs> maybe I mean, now that you've planted the seed. Apparently, you just have to say that you went to a school and, and no one's ever going to check and they're just going to call you a genius. And apparently, if you if you pretend to be enough of a genius, people don't seem to care when they hear you did shit wrong. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because you made a note about sort of how con men are able to potentially pull people in. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think this comes up particularly in these Dr. Death things is they don't go with the little lie. They go with the big lie. So it's not you know, I'm slightly better at doing tracheotomies or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, not only have I cured HIV, I'm also curing different kinds of cancer and probably a whole lot more stuff is coming down the pike. I'm just that kind of like, not even generational, but like once a millennium kind of genius. And I can pull an egg from inside your ear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I don't think they do anything with that. In this is sort of a larger criticism that I'll, we can talk about more later, but those are the claims he makes. So like, you don't really get a sense of like why people believe it again. Like you were saying, like, why doesn't anybody check? Although I think I was talking to a, a guy I know 
who was a surgeon. And I was like, when you get new surgeons, like, how does that work? Do they do like a surgery and you guys all watch them to see if it's good? And he's like, no, it's just all sort of recommendations, Mm -hmm. you know, interviews Uh, and recommendations. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can kind of see how maybe you can use that to your advantage in these situations. But again, the idea that these guys who, again, they don't get into it very deeply, but I'm not exactly sure what his qualifications are to do anything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he says he can do all this crazy stuff and people are like, oh, that's awesome. Without like calling the University of Moscow to see if he actually matriculated at any point. Right. You know, it's interesting, Toby, because we have a friend who's a uh, reconstructive plastic surgeon. He's very, very good at what he does. And I asked him a similar question because he switched hospitals a few years ago. And he said, same thing, interviews and references. But just like any other industry, if you're not good at your job, the place that you work wants to get rid of you. And sometimes they'll give you good references to get you out of your job. Like, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of this, but like sometimes it'll be like a call for references. And if you really want to get rid of an employee, it'll be like, oh, they're great. They're fine. They're totally fine. They're You're great. describing Dr. Death season one. <laughs> exactly. Right. right? Where, yes. where if someone's bad, either you, you feel like you cannot give an honest recommendation or you're just happy to Say, yeah, he's great. Go someplace else. Right. Just let that hospital. But, get but I, I actually want to roll in with on something else you said, because I think about this, too. When we listen to this, it's like never the big. It's never the small. It's the big likes. I listen to this and I'm like, why didn't he just go into like the podcast business and make like a couple million dollars? <laughs> like, why did it have to be a billion? Right. I actually but there are actually a ton of scammy people who go into it smaller scale. I would actually love a podcast about, you know, and I know that there's, you know, podcasts about scams and stuff, but I'd love a podcast with like this level of like storytelling stuff about like the people who go like into the podcast industry, for instance, with no fucking credentials who just like keep failing up or keeps just scamming up or just pretending like they know everything and just making tons of money doing stuff in different kinds of fields that are more familiar to us than becoming like a a star CEO like Elizabeth Holmes or like this dude. I think that would be interesting because I think we're, I actually do think we're kind of surrounded by those people. And I think we know it. How many times have you met somebody when you're like, this person has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Why do they make $800,000 a year? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Well, and I think these are the people that are just, they have this ability and this charisma to pull it off and just like, in their mind, they believe it in a way. Like, by the way, I checked out this guy's Instagram, which is yeah, still I did too. Yeah, yeah. up, still up. And if you look did at you that. you like the, the photo of him like working out on the, the solar oh, yeah. flex or whatever that was? Yeah. I this is like that. every, like all the pictures on the fake profiles on the dating apps, all the pictures <laughs> that he had up there. But like when you look at the pictures he's putting out there, like you're saying, Rebecca, like he, this is him portraying himself to the world. And this is the image that he has curated. And he's totally full of shit. Yeah. But he did have good abs. Mm. Well, there is that. <laughs> That's what you want in an AIDS researcher. Yeah, Good apps. One of the things I found interesting about this podcast, Laura, and I saw you made, and I, I'd love to get, you know, Toby's reaction to this too, is that uh, it kind of takes bad guys to take down this bad guy. I mean, the Hindenburg guys... They're not known for their good works in the world, right? Like they're kind of like corporate vultures. Their job is to make money off of the taking down of companies and then betting short on the companies, right? Finding dirt and cracks and failings. What did you think about that? That it took these guys to come up with all this dirt on Sirhat to find out that he was a fraudster and a magician and not, in fact, a medical genius. 
Um, well, I liked the way that they described themselves, that they're like pirates, but they only rob other pirates. Oh, come on. I guess, that, I guess that's true. But then, you know what? It's clever, but that's very Pollyanna. I just want to say lots of people work for those so-called pirates that they rob who don't know that they're working for pirates. So they fuck over a lot of regular people, yeah. these Hindenburg yeah, yeah. types. And, uh, and it's that they can be flip about it all they want, but they are like not good guys. Anyway, keep going. Oh, well, I just thought it was I thought it was fascinating to listen to that story through the eyes of the guy who's doing this research, who's just like obsessed with finding out about Sirhat and who he really is. You know, he follows the hunch. He finds out he's not a doctor. They go back to his school times. They they find this roommate who's like, yeah, he was always exaggerating. And then into the magic tricks. And then, I mean, just the, the information they keep finding, like, I, I mean, I'm curious a little bit about how they get such good information, but it's like, they find the video of him doing this trick with like a paper cone and a flower. When he hears the clapping, he decides to do the trick again and again. In fact, he repeats it a total of 15 times. Then he takes a bow and the audience claps even harder. It's clear they were ready for it to be done. But the magician is not. Instead, he keeps going, pulling even more flowers out of the cone. I mean, this is extremely detailed background information. But then when things are really hitting the point where he's exposed and these guys are the ones who are like, oh, shit, we have all this information. Like, I can't imagine having worked on that background for so long and then all of a sudden seeing everything just hit the fan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's called Hindenburg for a reason. Why? Because they want to see something go down in flames. <laughs> but I love it that the only organization with the resources or desire to investigate corporate fraud are people who want to short their stock yeah. and make millions doing it. Yeah, I mean, what a great motivator, probably right? Probably tens or hundreds of millions. But it says everything about America. I mean, it's just like, hey, we can't like properly fund regulatory agencies or law enforcement looking into white collar crime, but consider it a bounty if you can take down a whole fucking Let's company profit from it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like neither side comes to this with clean hands, but I, I find it very interesting that they're like, this is what we're going to do with our uh, investigative prowess. We're just going to look for the, the fraudsters and steal from them. Yeah. In a legal way. <laughs> Toby, what did you think of Hindenburg's investigation? I mean, they go back to his Turkish roots, find out that he, you know, hooked up with his magician. And then there's this weird side note about how he, you know, learned magic. He had this like mentor and then he wanted to go into this kind of magic where he healed people. And that's sort of like a dropped thread in the podcast that I didn't really understand. Yeah, they, they, they bring that up. I'll, I'll talk about that first, which is. It just doesn't make any sense on the face of it because he knows what he's doing isn't actually magic. You know, it's smoke and mirrors. Like that, hey, that's don't what it spoil is. it for other people, Toby. <laughs> so when he says, I want to take magic into healing people, he's, he's going to somehow fake his way into healing people. I mean, it just sounds like he's basically saying, I'm going to want to scam people in a medical way, the same way I'm able to fool them in this kind of harmless, amusing way. I don't know how else to take that uh, or unless he like just doesn't get it and actually thinks he is performing literal magic when he's doing this, these street tricks. But maybe one of the problems for me with this podcast is that it feels like it's sort of at a Hindenburg level of insight, just in terms of Hindenburg isn't really interested so much in how he does this stuff. 
It's just that he does do this stuff. And I kind of feel like that's the problem with the podcast is that Hindenburg doesn't really care by what mechanism or how does he convince people to invest money in him or to pay $200,000 for him to give some tincture that turns into arsenic eventually in your system or whatever. Like, how, how do you do that? How do you pull this off? All they're concerned about is that he did pull it off, and that means that the company is is fraudulent and it can be taken down. And I feel like that's kind of the depth to which this season goes and no further. And that, at least for me, when I'm listening to something like this about this fraud, what would seem to be interesting is like, how the hell does he pull this off? How does a guy who's a street magician in Turkey suddenly have the guy who founded Pandora wanting to throw money at him because he thinks he's a medical genius. Like that's, what's interesting. The fact that it happened. Yeah. I mean, that's weird, but I don't need to listen to three hours of a podcast of just like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. And and that's the end without like having some kind of insight into why. Yeah. Just to point out that when you say Pandora, we're talking about that store at the mall where that, what do they do? Like uh, bracelets, bracelets and, stuff. and stuff like that. Not the Pandora that is like that music service. Serious, yeah. You know, where's a place where you can listen to podcasts? Like all the stuff we have at Patreon. Oh. Like your Patreon. Like you can like connect that through Patreon app. Kevin. You can do Spotify. What? Are you the, you're in the business section right now? Well, thanks for sticking around, Rebecca. Oh. Yes, of course I'm in the business section. Okay. Don't you hear the music? I do. I put it there, so I do. <laughs> if you join us on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can get great stuff like our crime writers on after show. Apparently we're gonna be talking about Joe Rogan. As well as this past weekend where we talked where I was asked by one Laura Bricker oh, to present a love story in public. It went really well. It went really well. (laughs) We'll get into that. Another great thing is Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby's uh, latest episode uh, that's out right now is about the Angel Makers, the book. But the next one coming up, he's got a... Actually, it's the first, Toby. It's a movie. It's a film, yes. It's uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese with Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone who won the Mm -hmm. uh, Academy Award for her performance. A nomination, though. She's been nominated. Oh, she won the Emmy. She hasn't won yet. She won the Emmy Award. No. Golden Globes? No, Golden Globes. Golden, Golden Globes. Globe. I don't know. It's and she's been awards. nominated for... I thought maybe you had some inside information that... She'll yeah. win that, too. Mark it down on your calendar. She's a friend of my colleagues. Apparently, she's Toby's nice. a member of the Academy. Yes. yes. Uh, by the way, good conversation on um, The Angel Makers, a book that nobody who reviewed it liked, but we ended up having a very, uh, very interesting conversation about what the problems with the book were and what it all means. Uh, so I think people will enjoy it. Those are always the best. Episodes. I love those. I love those ones. Just like crime writers. And just when you think things can't get crazy enough in Queen AF Exeter, New Hampshire, Laura Bricker drops a new episode of leave it to Bricker. And it has to do with Laura. I can't even say it. What is the place? <laughs> it is the diaper spa, the diaper spa. This is not for little kids, right? Yeah, We don't want to kink shame anyone, but this doesn't sound like a spa either. No. And that's, that's kind of my point on this. So this has been all over the news in Southern New Hampshire, this diaper spa that opened up in Atkinson in this um, very high end residential neighborhood in a home as um, supposedly a therapeutic (laughs) business. But 
I go and talk to my friend who lives in Atkinson and find out there's a lot more going on behind the scenes <laughs> at bet. the diaper spa. All right. <laughs> we get all that great stuff by joining us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Be sure to sign up for our free newsletter at uh, crimewriterson.com. Also, you can shop our Amazon storefront at amazon.com slash shop slash crimewriterson. We earn commissions from qualified purchases. And that, Rebecca. Yes. Ends the business section. Oh, is that the business section? I'm sorry, my head is still in the diaper spot. Should I go ahead and fade the music out right now? Yeah, yeah but you do it. Close your eyes and smell baby powder no, and warm cookies. No, that shit gives you cancer. I don't want to smell baby powder. Smell it on your bottom. No, it gives you cancer. Giant. Bad for you. If Johnson you're bad, and, they'll paddle you, Rebecca. Johnson & Johnson a s- paid a bunch of people a settlement for that. It's not good for you. Can't do it. All right, Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out. Right now. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So, Laura, this story is also framed through Jeffrey and his friend who's making a film about him. Jeffrey is a man who is going to get some experimental secret, super secret experimental treatment for his uh, for AIDS. Uh, He has to actually come out of being in remission for HIV. Right. Uh, In order to get this experimental treatment. And his friend is making a documentary that ends up getting some notice and some pickup on the festival circuit and so forth. And, you know, Jeffrey was just very flippant about it. I'm going to help try to cure HIV. I'm going to take the next few weeks or month off and I will maybe get sick. Maybe I won't get sick. And, you know, and maybe they'll find a cure. This is the closest, I think, to a personal story we get in this podcast, even though it is one person removed from the personal story. Um, What did you think about Jeffrey's story and how we hear about it in the show? Well, I thought that definitely, you know, made this more compelling in terms of having me listening to this, investing into this, like kind of like the traditional doctor death style where we hear about something awful that's happened to a patient and then what happens to sort of right that wrong and expose the doctor or fake doctor behind that. So, you know, hear about Jeffrey. He's a drag queen. He works as a casting director, very lively personality. His friend is a TV producer who they're talking about this and Jeffrey is telling him how he's going to have to go off his regular meds, but that he's just committed to this because if he has to die to save other people with AIDS and HIV, like he's willing to do that. But you start to hear these kind of things that are like, you know, the red flags, like his friend goes and wants to actually record at the treatments. He's not allowed in. So he has to do this sort of recap after the fact with Jeffrey about what happened He's not allowed to say where it's happening. And then his friend's getting super freaking sick and having like all sorts of awful situations with bodily fluids happening. And then allegedly is all of a sudden better and in remission. And, you know, this seems like a miracle. But, you know, the other red flag is then he goes to show this film to Dr. Serhat and like his only sort of concern at that point is that the number on the building is blurred so you can't see where the treatment's happening. Yeah. 
I actually thought it was interesting. Well, I actually didn't think it was interesting. I was very surprised that this filmmaker would show him the film before he like put it out there because yeah. that's not a thing that you should do. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, what did you think about Jeffrey's story? Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, it does actually remind me of sort of Hitchcock's time bomb under the, the table where like we can all see what bad thing is about to happen, but the characters can't. Um, Jeffrey's story sort of like one of the few emotional hooks in the podcast. I think it starts off really strong with the description of the murder and sort of the suspense and in mystery around that. And then, you know, we get to meet somebody that we know is going to be a victim of this guy's wrongdoing because, hey, it's season four. We know what these doctors are all about. But Jeffrey seems an interesting person because he's also from that first wave generation of HIV patients who watched all their friends and lovers die. And so it gave him a unique perspective on death and dying and living and whether or not to plan for the future. And I'm sure it was also emotionally exhausting to live with this chronic condition for decades. And so... It's one of the reasons why you can say, oh, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Maybe. And like why he he wanted to. It was more it was, of course, he was ensorcelled and uh, brought into this trial by this charismatic person with all of these grandiose promises. But it was also somebody who was in a position was willing to accept the risks and 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 and, and to suspend a healthy disbelief about what could be accomplished. I think the lack of sourcing in this podcast is unfortunate. Toby, I don't know if you feel the same way. This kind of connects with what you were saying earlier about the Hindenburgness of the show. But I mean, it's not really like a victim centric podcast. I mean, Jeffrey is, you know, we hear that Jeffrey's alive. Unlike the other seasons of Dr. Death, we don't really get a sense of medical harm done and hear from people who that harm was done to. It's not that kind of podcast right i mean Mm -hmm. that really stuck out to me toby because even with the murder like it doesn't really we don't really hear a lot about that and how and the ripple effects of that yeah i mean you could easily drop this into like a uh a series on like corporate fraud or something if you wanted to i mean it Mm. the the medical stuff it seems like more of a detail than a than a central part of this like i could see them getting like hindenburg being like hey why don't you make a podcast about this stuff that we found and them just sort of whipping it up into this format and putting it out there because at least for me, I didn't have the same sort of buy-in into the whole story that I've had in previous seasons. You know, as you were saying before, you've got one person who's like, you know, a victim and it's got an interesting story, but that's it. I mean, he's representative of a whole bunch of other people. You hear about a couple that was paid $200,000 for him to come and then I think their son died. And so they're like, can we get our $200,000 back? Cause you're not coming. And he didn't give it back to him. Um, yeah. So anyway, I just, again, I just don't feel as though it gets very deep. I mean, there's, there's like deep digging into background information and finding like little bits of information that I'm sure were difficult to find, but what does it actually mean? They don't do anything about that. There's easy stuff that you can say about a guy who's a street magician becoming like this sort of big time fraudster, but they don't. The symbolism is pretty on the nose, right? You can explore it in a way other than 
just like the most basic, obvious way, but they don't bother with doing that at all. It's just like, oh yeah, this is a deal with him. And then on you go. And even like the murder, it seems super creepy. And I guess we get an idea of why, but I didn't feel like I got much of a sense of the dynamics between the people who were involved or mm-hmm. anything. It just yeah. seemed like it was yeah. just really quickly, like, here's some facts about this. It was kind of messed up. And I guess trial to come. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why the storytelling there is a little bit hampered. The reporting's hampered because that murder for a higher trial hasn't begun yet. It won't happen until later this year. So there's probably more that could be fleshed out, like once the government puts its cards all on the table. And we do know some of it because Jerry Banks was the gunman. He he took a plea, so we know some of of that publicly. But a lot of that would have been underreported, so we had that. yeah, Toby, like both of the things you just talked about, I just, f- for some reason, right, it didn't fit together in, in some way that, you, you know, know, it made you know what it a felt cohesive, like? what? It felt like Wondery was pitched this story yeah. and they said, let's make it a Dr. Death season. Yeah. And they sort of pulled out the medically stuff to the forefront in such a way to make it fit that feed. Mm-hmm. And it actually is more like a chameleon type story and it, sh- it, yeah. w- it would fit better as a season of chameleon i think than a season of dr death because i think for this dr death series we really for lack of a better word like there needs to be more soul to it like a little more of this yeah. like sense of pain which not like i revel in people's pain but that has been the hallmark of of this show right people are hurt people are injured people are yeah, uh, um, yeah like like one of suffering you like know somebody said like the the wrongdoing has nothing to do with or very little to do with medical malpractice with money. It's, it's mostly fraud yeah, and yeah. then this murder which is kind of weird. I mean, I know that there's this oil dispute. For some reason, I don't know why it's not clicking. And a lot of it didn't hold my attention after the first or second episode. It started really strong, but it seemed to start <laughs> to kind of come apart at the seams for spiritually. It just somehow didn't, everything was there, but it just didn't did, did lock you, up. If only there was a magician to pull it back together. <laughs> yeah, It was like sawed in half. Did you feel and like it, you were watching someone pull a flower out of a cone 18, 18 times? times? Yeah. <laughs> Laura, did you feel like the murder was well connected to the story or did you feel like it was some sort of like big jump? No, I mean, I thought the so I actually went and looked up the murder because I was more interested in the murder and like what was going on with that because I was like, so wait a minute, how does this relate? And it's, I think it's kind of ironic because actually- Can you explain it to us? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so basically they seek Sir Hat out to be an investor and he's like, yeah, sure, here's some money and gives him like a fake check. And then when they're going to report him and prosecute, then this like crazy murder for hire plot comes up. But that to me is like so crazy. Like, I think that would actually be really interesting to find out more about how that murder for hire plot came out. Because to go from the level of like, okay, this guy's like just weasels his way out of everything to suddenly, oh, somebody's going to report him and now he's going to kill them. Because if I'm not mistaken, he got arrested in like 2017 in L.A. for like doing fraudulent financial things. Mm-hmm. And somehow all of that just didn't matter. And then in like whatever year it was, he's like named when the company comes out in 2018. That's called being a man, Laura. That happens all I guess. the time. <sighs> but I mean, the other thing I thought was interesting was that like who actually exposed him was like Danish public radio. <laughs> I thought yep. that was like, um, P.S. He's done no clinical trials. There's no evidence anything he's saying works, and he's probably not real. So I thought that was interesting. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Dr. Death, Season 4, Bad Magic? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Dr. Death, Season 4, Bad Magic? Um, so I didn't hate this as much as everybody else. I'm going to go thumb sideways. The story was more superficial than you would like for a season of Dr. Death, but it was easy to listen to. I like could follow along as I was out walking around the neighborhood, listening to this, out driving around for work, uh, driving out to the diaper spa in New Hampshire, listening to Dr. Death. Um, it helped me pass the time. Uh, <laughs> look at Rebecca. And there was some really crazy details in this story. And I think it probably wasn't told in the best way. Like I think you know, my criticism would be that they needed to decide, was this going to be a true crime story about this bonkers murder for hire plot? Or was this going to be a Dr. Death story? I think probably it would have been better as a true crime story because things like that happening in Vermont, which you're going to hear about in the first episode, this situation that does happen in Vermont, that's unusual. And then when you hear about the people involved in that from other parts of the country, that was the part I was more interested in. And, and this sounds awful to say, but we've heard a lot about doctors that aren't really who they say they are. So, you know, it's a thumb sideways. It's not the best season of Dr. Death. There are some issues, but I listened to it. So there we go. Tell me, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Dr. Death? Bad magic. Well, I listened to it too. So I guess maybe I have to give it a thumbs sideways. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, even like really good franchises have their bum seasons. And this kind of feels like that's what this is. It's modest in length. I think it's modest in ambition. There's no real reason to connect with it that I could find throughout. Actually, I think the first episode is is promising, but then it doesn't get followed up with, right? I mean, I think you kind of lose the kind of personal connections you make with at least one, possibly two people in the first episode. And then those are just kind of gone. And what you're left with is sort of a thing-by-thing accounting of a bunch of events in this sort of fraud. And it's barely even about medicine or doctors like it, it's sort of related to it i guess and i guess it it's in the medical field but he's not a doctor in the same sense that other guys in the doctor death uh series have been so i guess i'm a thumbs down i think being in the doctor death series i think raises the bar a little bit and i think this just doesn't come close to clearing it so unfortunately that's where i fall kevin flynn I'm going to go thumb sideways. The series is fine, but it doesn't have a spark for some reason. It starts strong with the murder and this filmmaker talk about his uh, his documentary and his friend. But somehow I just don't have an emotional connection to anyone in this, including the murder victim or feeling like really antipathetic towards the villain here for, for some reason. I can't tell you what to do to improve the podcast, what edit to make, how to rearrange it. I, I, that's not what I can say. But ironically, we do say that great stories have magic in them. 
It's that intangible thing that sort of elevates them, that makes them spark a bit. Bad magic doesn't have that magic. It's got a lot of steak, but it just doesn't have a lot of sizzle. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this should have been a Dr. Death season. Um, I would instead like to pitch a couple of alternative stories for Dr. Death season. I'd like to pitch the story of Dr. Thomas Kazowski, a Dartmouth-trained plastic surgeon who was a reconstructive breast surgeon for eight years who murdered his lawyer using a paralyzing agent after he hid in his closet and then was caught hauling the body out When of- was that? That was pretty recently. He went to college. He went to medical school with our friend, which is how I learned the story. Or I would like to pitch the story of uh, the New Hampshire cardiac surgeon uh, named Barabo, who has the worst record for malpractice death settlements in the entire country. Uh, That story was reported by my own outlet at HPR in 2022. He just sucks. I guess what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of doctor deaths out there that would make really fantastic seasons of this show. And to me this one wasn't it it was an efficient piece of storytelling it was not a bad piece of storytelling a lot of sound effects i think even more than usual in this uh season of dr death oh forgot about that (laughs) kevin what do you say about the sound effects i think wondery gets paid by the sound effects (laughs) yeah i'm not giving it a thumbs down it was fine thumb sideways for me for this season of dr death Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the week, the crime of the week. A Florida lawmaker wants to ease some restrictions on killing wildlife so residents can defend themselves against, wait for it, bears on crack. Mm. State Representative Jason Schoff says black bears high on the rock form of the crocane are breaking into people's homes and ripping them apart. Normally, Floridians would need a permit to shoot a bear, but this bill would allow people to do so in self-defense without penalty. At a legislative hearing, Schoff acknowledged that black bears were typically shy and non-threatening. And he said testimony by experts concerned about animal cruelty was, quote, dishonest, dishonest. Then in the next breath, he said, quote, we're talking about the ones that are on crack and they break your door down and they're standing in your living room growling and tearing your house apart. (laughs) Okay. Opponents note that while there has been an increase in nuisance encounter with bears searching for food, there hasn't been any documented reports of them getting into a home and trashing the place. And Florida has never recorded a bear related fatality. But we can't get over the claim that there are crack bears running around the Sunshine State. For one thing, where are the bears getting money to buy crack? Who is selling them the crack? And how are they supposed to hold the pipe and use a lighter without opposable thumbs? That's, yes, elementary, my dear Watson. Maybe Representative Schof saw the comedy Cocaine Bear and thought it was a documentary. Of course, though, stranger things have happened in Florida. So, panel, bears on crack sounds pretty dangerous. What other dangerous animals should we beware of? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I mean, elephants on crack could cause a Mm. lot of damage, I think. That's true. Shit, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Toby Ball, what dangerous animals do you think we should be aware of? I mean, apparently owls. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you think, Kevin? Owls with lasers. <laughs> That's scary. I'm getting pretty scared of that donkey-shaped deer that keeps showing up in our yard every night. It's a ferret. It's a ferret. <laughs> I think it's going to find out that I've been fat shaming it online and in this podcast, and it's going to come after it's us, a Kevin. deer on meth. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hello online how can they find you there they can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter and Instagram what about you Toby Ball how can you be found at Toby Ball NH on X 
What about you, Kevin? Uh, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. You can follow us on YouTube as well. I entreat you, though, please join our incredible community in our amazing Crime Writers On group. It's on Facebook. Just find our regular Facebook page. There's instructions there on how to join the group. You just have to name one of us. Name any one of the four of us. If it's Toby, you'll get let in the fastest, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. You get let in fast no matter what, as long as you know what the four of us are. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You also get all the other awesome podcasts we make back there. almost 400 episodes. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. Executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. And today, he almost missed the show. This show was <sighs> recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also impress our friends by bending spoons with our minds. Mm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Is this your card? (laughs) You Napoleon Dynamite during card tricks? Dang, (laughs) Tina. (laughs) Eat your quesadilla. Kevin loves Napoleon Dynamite. I do too. Yeah.